Give somebody a high five next to you. And then as you're sitting down, will you help me? Help me. You got to be loud now. Help welcome all of our campuses, especially the men and women at our Gap Behind Bars campus. We love you guys. Now, um, I have like this really special announcement. You know, like um, this is historic. And this is not like pastor speak, you know, hyperbole. For real, um, some history is happening next week. Now, let me do a little rewind because um, I think it's important first to know next week we're launching a brand new series. And this series is called By Design. It's going to be three weeks where we talk about the way that we're made, what God has for us individually and for a church. But next week, part one, uh, it, it really is going to be a special, special week. So a little background. Five years ago, we got connected to an organization um, that helped us understand and sort of how we could get inside doing services inside of correctional facilities. And it took about 12 months to sort of work everything out. But four years ago, we launched our very first God Behind Bars campus at the Denver Women's Correctional Facilities. That was really awesome. And it has been so amazing. Like the last four years, we have seen lives being transformed. So, so many stories of God just doing amazing things within that prison. Now, we're going to be talking about uh, not only the men's territorial facility, but what's in the future. But here's what's history. For the last four years, we have been uh, joining together with those two God Behind Bars campuses as one church. But we've always broadcasted from here to there. Well, next week, for the very first time in history, we're broadcasting from the Denver Women's Correctional Facilities to here. It's gonna be awesome. So listen, if... Honestly, I know how it can work. Sometimes we get so busy. Will you mark this on your calendar and make your way to church? You need to get here. It's going to be fantastic, all right? Deal? Deal? All right, all right. Um, You know, this last week, I was prepping this message, and I I ran across, like, this story, and it made me think of my own children. Uh, How many of you remember having a five-year-old in your life? Raise your hands. How many many of you right now have a five-year-old in your life? We need to pray for you right now. You're like, yes, you do. Listen, I was thinking back to my family um, when Harry was five years old. This is my family, um, what, six years ago. So this is Chrissy and this is me, pre-beard. You know, I look so much younger. Um, And it's Graham. And then Harry right in the middle, he was five years old. And I was thinking about Harrison at five. And isn't it true with five-year-olds that their perception of the world you know, for them, can be completely rational to them, but be utterly wrong. You ever seen that with a five-year-old? Completely rational to them, but utterly wrong. And I was thinking about this because as I was listening to this radio story, they were interviewing five-year-olds, and they were interviewing them specifically about the tooth fairy, yeah? So the, the, inter- the interview was so cute, you know, they were talking about the tooth fairy and all the things that are around the tooth fairy, but there was one little girl that I got to laughing so hard because um, the interviewer said, hey, so tell me, what do you think the tooth fairy does with all these teeth? 
And the little girl responded back, well, I think the tooth fairy builds her house out of all those teeth, right? And the interviewer sort of puzzled, went, well, why doesn't the tooth fairy just use normal materials like bricks? And the girl shot back instantly, because people's teeth aren't made of bricks. (laughs) Completely rational, (laughs) utterly wrong. (laughs) You know, it's funny. We see it with children, five-year-olds, this idea of completely rational, utterly wrong. But here's the truth. You know, sometimes in our lives, sometimes if we're honest, we can use perfectly valid evidence and arrive at perfectly incorrect conclusions ourselves. We can. And I've been thinking, you know, oftentimes we look at the lives that we live in. And let me make a few assumptions, okay? I'm going to make some assumptions about everybody that's in this room. If you're at one of our campuses, I'm making some assumptions about all of us. Here's the assumption I'm making. I'm assuming that all of us want to find a life that's filled with, you know, some happiness, some contentment. Like, we want to find purpose and passion in our lives. Like, I think a lot of us, we come back around here and we hear about Jesus and his life and what he promised in John 10, 10, life to the full. And that sounds pretty good to most all of us, right? And yet, if 100% of us are looking for that kind of life, life to the full, I've become convinced that oftentimes our pursuit of that life is flawed. That too many times we use perfectly valid evidence about what life to the full looks like but arrive at perfectly incorrect conclusions about how you get there. And I get it. See, I heard a pastor say this recently and it stuck with me. Um, He was talking about this idea. And you know, too often, the way that we exist on this planet is this way, that we are physical beings who are having temporary spiritual experiences. We have them at church on Sundays and maybe a quiet time now and again, or maybe time in our Bible. But you know what the truth is about us? We're actually permanent spiritual beings who are having a temporary physical experience. See, the reality of that When we begin to wrap our heads around that, it begins to change everything. Look, I get it. I get it. Because I live in the same world that you live in. I live in a world where oftentimes the stuff I can touch, the stuff I can feel, what I can see, it is paramount in my life. Because why? Because you can touch it. And because you can see it. And sometimes I'm tempted to believe this life, the one I have right now, it's it. But there is something inside of me that every so often says, really? Really, Eric? So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what does it look like to live John 10.10? Because I think at the end of the day, this is what we're looking for. Join me as I pray. God, I'm asking you to speak through me. I'm asking you to bring clarity to my words. May I speak your truth. May you enlighten our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, let me warn you um, the way that my brain works, all right? If you've been here, around here for a very long, one, most nobody calls me by my first name. So if you're like, who's Parks? That's what everybody calls me. I don't know. Maybe it's a bad first name. Um, but the second thing you need to know is I have a very active imagination. 
And so I love reading stories in the Bible. And oftentimes for me, the way I connect like my life is to get in God's word and see some story and then it comes alive and then I can't help but talk about it. So you are now going to be the recipient of my sick brain. (laughs) I love this story. The story I'm gonna talk through this evening is my favorite, my favorite. I could preach on this story probably 52 different ways. I think it's brilliant. It's a story found in Judges in the Old Testament. We're primarily gonna be like back and forth between chapter six and seven, and it centers around one guy. His name is Gideon. Now, let me give you some background on Gideon because knowing this is important. When we find him in scripture, and we're gonna read some scripture in a minute, We find a kid, who honestly is a kid, who has lived a really rough past seven years. We know that for seven years, his people, the Israelites, had been living under Midianite rule. And the Midianites were awful. Yeah, awful. Um, The economic climate was terrible, but this is sort of how the Midianites ruled. Uh, They didn't farm, so they didn't really know how to farm. So what they would do is every year they would send marauders out into farm country, that was Gideon's country, and they'd steal all of their crops. Then for good measure, they'd burn everything down. They'd burn their house down. And so for seven years, this is what Gideon had been dealing with. A people that would ride in, steal everything they have, burn everything to the ground and leave. And and on top of that, we know that Gideon came from a proud family, like a good line. He, He was noble. And so when we find Gideon, here's what I can promise you. He is not thinking he's living his best life. The idea of life to the full, based on his physical experience, that isn't happening. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's threshing wheat, and he's probably threshing that wheat to hide it. So he's underground, threshing wheat, trying to hide, survive. For seven years, this has been his life over and over again. This is not the way he dreamt his life up. This is not the way anyone dreams their life up. And so in Judges chapter six, verse 12, the Bible tells us in these circumstances that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, I love Gideon's response because I love that he responds like a real person. Listen to what he says. He comes back and Gideon says, sir, if the Lord's with us, why is all this happening? Now, stop for a second. When I read this the first time, the thing that jumped out at the page to me is, oh, he doesn't know God's talking to him. He, he has no idea God's talking to him. You know how I know is because God talks to him and his, he responds back by saying, sir. Sir would be like when you pass your boss in the hallway and he's like, hey, buddy. He doesn't know your name. You know what I'm saying? This is what Gideon's like, sir, no offense, nice sentiment. He goes on, he says, where were all the miracles our ancestors told us about, dude? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now, Lord's abandoned us, handed us over to the Midianites. They just come down here, take what they want. See, I read this verse and I realized, you know, oftentimes in our life, the truth is, if we're not careful, we become just like Gideon, someone who was probably familiar with God's voice at one time, but he's not anymore. 
God shows up in his presence and says words to him. And he says, sir, he has no idea it's God. He hasn't heard or listened for God's voice in who knows how long. And I got to thinking, why is that? Why is it that we become unfamiliar with God's voice? And how important is it that for us to live the way that God intended, that we have to stay familiar with his voice? Look, there's all kinds of reasons, right? Gideon's was bad times. Anybody ever had a bad time? Anybody had a bad time? A couple of us had a bad time. The rest of you, it's coming. <laughs> you have a bad time, it's easy to go, <laughs> I'm not talking to God. Where was he when the business failed? Where was God when I got sick? Where was God whenever the kid got hurt? I, you know what I'm saying? Like hard times, we go, I don't need to listen to God. I don't want to come to church. I don't need any of that. Hard times do that. Good times sometimes do that, if we're honest. Sometimes the other end of that, we have so much good stuff, we just forget about God. We don't really pay any attention to him. I, I think for me, the thing that frustrates me the most in my past is like anytime God changes my plans. Anybody had a plan change in your life? Again, if you haven't, it's coming. The truth of the matter is we build our lives around our plans, right? Like you have these plans of where you're gonna end up and where you're gonna head and so often we'll say, man, this is not how I plan my life to go down. What's going on? But, but here's, what's, here's what's interesting about the Bible. If you're interested in finding like a place where people have these great plans and they just execute on them, do not read the Bible because it is filled with people who God, they're just really good people who God's just interrupting their plans all the time. I mean, I mean, seriously, think about it. Noah, he didn't plan on building a boat. <laughs> Moses, he did not plan on confronting Pharaoh, right? Esther didn't plan on stopping a genocide. I can promise you this, that Mary did not pr plan on having a baby as a teenager, right? Isn't this what God does? He interrupts plans, and yet, for a multitude of reasons, maybe it's pain, maybe it's because we have too much good stuff, maybe it's a change of plans, I don't know. Isn't it often true that in these circumstances, we lose sight, we lose the ability to hear God's voice? We forget what God sounds like. Gideon forgot what God sounds like. And here's why this matters. Like, if John 10.10 really is something we wanna live, here's why it matters. Because you don't know when God's gonna come and say, hey, it's your time. But I can promise you, if you don't know what he sounds like, you won't know it's time to go. See, if you don't know what God sounds like, you won't know, it's time. So how do we, how do we, how do we, not lose sight of God's voice. So let me start with this. Get to church. Wait a minute. Online, get to church. <laughs> no, seriously, I know what you're thinking. Oh, right, so the only place to hear God's voice is church. Well, no, but it doesn't hurt, right? Like getting around a bunch of people and singing some things to God, truths about him that maybe he can break through in our circumstances and maybe we remember that he conquered death in the grave, right? Doesn't that do something in us? It can't hurt. But listen, if you want to live John 10, 10, you have to know his voice. So let me, let me, let me give you a recommendation. 
You gotta spend time with God. Now, I don't know what it's gonna look like for you. For some of you prayer warriors, it is spending time on your knees praying, speaking with him. For those of you that are like, I don't even know where to start. Let me, let, I'm gonna give you a, a little easy way to start. You ready for an easy way to start? One of my favorite authors, his name's John Ortberg. He wrote this book, it's called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's about spiritual disciplines, like things you can do. But there's one chapter in there that's amazing. He, he has a chapter called, You Should Have a Doodah Day. So here's what a doodah day is. A doodah day is like a day where you pick like four or five things you really like to do. Um, I don't know, maybe it's like um, a kind of coffee you wanna get in the morning, or a coffee shop you wanna be at, or maybe a lunch place, or maybe if you're husband and wife. You know what I'm saying. Kids, ask your parents what I meant by that when you get home. A doodah day. And here's, here's what you do. When you have that cup of coffee or you're in that place you love, you just thank God for it. That's it. You just thank God for it. You invite him in that place with you. You, you don't have to say a whole lot more. You don't have to have like this long uh, speech or you don't have to be polished in prayer. You're just recognizing that all good things come from him. That all good things come from him. This cup of coffee, it's really good. This place, it's really good. God, thanks for joining me here. I'm telling you, if you did that every single Monday, you will begin to refine your ear to his voice. And where it will go from there, who knows? But I can promise you, if you don't, you'll be just like Gideon. You'll forget what he sounds like. Get in church. Do a doodah day. Gideon. In chapter six, God is persistent. God is persistent. He is persistent. He keeps tapping Gideon's shoulder. And the Bible says, then the Lord turned to him and said, now, I got your attention. I want you to go with the strength that you have. Look, I have a mission for you. Let me pause for a second. Listen, if you can hear my voice, listen to me. There is no such thing as an accident. You were born on purpose for a purpose, period. That's it. That's it. You have a purpose. You have one. You have one. God has something he wants you to do. Now, God had something he wanted Gideon to do. He said, now listen, I want you to go rescue Israel from the Midianites. That's a pretty big something. Now I'm gonna send you. Now listen, listen, listen what Gideon says. Listen what he says. He says, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. Me, how, how can I rescue Israel? Like, my clan's the weakest. We're the weakest. And me, I'm like the weakest of the weakest. Like, I'm the runt of the runt tribe. So you got it wrong. I hear you now, but what you're asking me to do, mm, talking to the wrong guy, I can't do that. See, here's, here's what's funny about us, if we're, if, we're, if we're honest. I think we do that all the time. I think the truth about us is that we question our value when it comes to God, lots of us. I hear it all the time. I hear people say, no, he, just, he doesn't really know what he has in me. He really doesn't know the mistakes I've made. He really doesn't get where I've been. I just need to let you in on something. Yeah, he does. He knows. I want this to sink in for a second. I want this to sink in. If you never discover your value, you won't discover your purpose. 
Listen, if you never discover your value, you are never going to discover your purpose. Stop saying things about you in Christ that are not true. Stop it. You just got to stop. Listen, there's something on this planet that God wants you to accomplish. He thought you up. You know that, right? Like he thought you up. When he thought you up, he thought of this good thing. You know, in Ephesians 2.10, it says you're his masterpiece. Like he thought of you a long time ago and he had good things for you to go do in him. That's just true. Now, let me remind you of a few things. One, you don't have to be anybody else when you're in Jesus. Nobody else. Stop looking at Instagram. Well, you can follow me because I don't post anything. So (laughs) stop looking at Instagram going, oh, look at their life and look at what they've got going on. And oh my gosh, and I can't believe it. And I'll never have that. And if I were them, and then maybe I could stop, just stop. Listen to me. You don't have to be anybody else, but who you are in Jesus, period. Secondly, you don't have to be anything other than what you are in Jesus. Now, let me qualify that. Some of you are gonna send me emails. It's fine. Send me an email. When God saves you, he has a plan to redeem you, right? But here's the truth. You don't have to wait till full sanctification to get busy doing his work and what he wants you to do. When his spirit takes up residence in you, he begins doing a work in you. Now, he's not gonna leave you back there. You might choose to stay back there. He's not gonna leave you back there. He's gonna start working in you. But listen, quit saying things about who you were and start saying things about who you are. See? Seven of you are excited about that. Do you notice? Look, the Lord looks at him and says, listen, go with the strength that you have. What is he saying? Go with the strength you have. I know you're a little runt. It's okay. You go with the strength you have. Why? Because I'm sending you. Not because you're sending you. Go with the strength you have because I'm sending you. Look, you are never going to discover your value. You will never discover your purpose until you discover your value. Now, how do you do it? It's simple. It's not Listen, most of this stuff isn't complicated. It's not always easy, but it's not necessarily complicated. What if on Monday you have a doodah day, so you start to sort of dial into God's voice, and what if on Tuesday you really begin to dive into God's word? It's really simple. Like, there's a bunch of apps you could download, like right now. You could actually download the Red Rocks Church app, and we've linked all of these. Look, there's Apps like YouVersion app, where you can do a daily reading plan, or you can do a yearly, read the Bible in a year. For those of you that are like, oh, I don't know about that. Well, the streetlights, you can download that one. It's an audio Bible, and it has like music underneath, so it's super soothing, you know? It's awesome. Or if you're like, well, I like playing games. Well, you can do verses and memorize scripture by filling in blanks. It's like a game. I don't care. You just need to get in God's word. See what he says about you. Stop telling yourself what they said about you, what your dad told you you were, what this place has told you were. Stop it. Only what God says you are. That's who you are. Listen, if we're going to live John 10, 10, got to hear God's voice. Got to really train our ears to hear what he wants us to do. Secondly, we've got to see what he sees in us. We do that in his word. And then thirdly, and this is really, really important. We got to go with some other people. 
Now, in Gideon's story, it's interesting to me because it really was like Gideon's moment, his destiny, his purpose was wrapped around this battle. And God finally gets his ear, gets his attention, and somehow convinces him, hey, listen, I'm sending you, you need to go. So Gideon goes out and he gathers all the fighting men. When he's done gathering, he has 32,000 men who are now ready to go with him, 32,000. Now here's the problem. There were 135,000 Midianite soldiers. So it would look something more like this. This is what the odds would look like, okay? So you see that and you go, not great odds. Not awesome. I mean, Gideon's not an idiot, right? Now, this part is where my mind takes over for a second. I, I look at Gideon, and he sees this. He's like, okay, see what happens when you follow God? Um, oftentimes, we think that struggle means we're off course, right? It's harder. We must be off course. Gideon's going, see, I listen to your voice. You tell me that I can do this, and now I'm going 32,000 against 135. And then God goes, Gideon, come here, come here, come here. Gideon comes over to God. God goes, listen, listen. 32,000. It's not the right number. Gideon's like, I know. We, we can't win this with 32,000. God goes, here's what I want you to do. You hearing me? You listen to me? And Gideon goes, I'm listening. I want you to, I want you to go down to all your people down there, 32,000, and I just want you to ask them one question. And Gideon's like, okay. Ask them how many of them are scared and those that are can go home. What? Right? Because if you have any mental capacity, you go, we're all scared because we're all going to die. Right? Gideon goes, you want? He goes down. And he gets his 32,000. And he goes, okay, God said, if you're scared, you can go home. 22,000 men go, so it went from that, now it looks like this. Okay, so those aren't any better odds. Those are worse. Um, you got to feel giddy and going, uh, 10,000, 10,000. What am I going to do now? God, when God goes, giddy and getting, I need you to come here. Gideon comes over, he goes, yeah, what is it, God? 10,000, not the right number. Gideon's like, okay, what is the right number then? Now listen what God says. This is in the Bible. We go back from my brain. <laughs> Judges 7, 5 says, Now divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, what? You want me to build an army based on a water drinking contest? <laughs> who drinks like a dog? Like, really? Because... <laughs> I'm like thinking, if I were going to put together some people and I was going to do a test, I'd do a fighting test, God, right? I'd do a fighting test. I'd have the two guys square off, and the toughest would be the ones. God goes, will you just trust me on this one? This is how it's working. Gideon does it. And when he's done, he has 300 men. Let me show you what 300 men look like against 135,000. Not good odds, Right? Here's, here's what I got to thinking about this moment. God was giving Gideon his men. You know what I'm learning about our spiritual lives, walking with Jesus? One, if you think this is a solo project, you're wrong. 
We weren't meant to live life to the fullest outside of community. We develop spiritual maturation happens in and around community. Like when we link arms together. And here's what I'm learning about getting your guys. You know what happens when you get your guys? When you get people who will stand with you in a fight, who, will, who are with you in the tough stuff, who will challenge you, who will speak truth to you. Do you know what starts happening? Odds don't matter anymore. You don't care. Because the truth is, what you really want is somebody who will stand next to you, right? When your kid's sick, when your wife's not doing well, when your marriage is rough, you want someone who will stand with you. You want some someones who will do life with you. See, when you get your men, when you get your fight club, odds don't matter as much. See, God was giving him his men. I think we confuse likes and hearts and things on screens with community. And the truth is, I'll trade you a million likes for a few good guys who'll do life with me. A million of them. And you know what my guess is? You feel the same way. Because this is how we're supposed to do life. Look, you know you can find relationships in this place. We've been saying, last time I preached, last week's message, we're talking about community because this is what we believe. For us to become what Jesus had in mind, we gotta do it together. Like, you gotta find your men. You gotta find your group, and you can do it here. You can get in a group. Maybe it's outside of here. I don't know, but this is crucial to you living God's best. If you wanna live John 10.10, 10, I know what some of you are thinking. My goodness, that's the most simple thing I know. And sure, following Jesus is multifaceted, and there's more to come, but we gotta start somewhere. And the truth is, we have to start believing that we are permanent spiritual beings who are just having a temporary physical experience. Look, I'm fine with physical stuff. Go to the gym every now and again. Go all the time. That's great. Buy short pants and sneakers and do what it is that you do, but be really clear. It is not the physical things that will help you live life to the full. And be clear on this, that oftentimes the pursuit of physical things diminishes our spiritual lives. But be clear on this too, that our spiritual lives influence our physical they do. Listen, we get up here and get all animated and preach, and the truth is, I want you to find Jesus so that you can go to heaven. I want you to get there. It's really important, but I also believe this, that I really do believe that God wants to bring heaven down to this earth, and he wants to use us to do it. Gideon and 300 men, the Bible tells us, they win the battle. But see, that's not the point. Those battles were always in God's hands. It's really clear. Look at the battle that Jehoshaphat fights. It's always like those physical battles, those are in my hands. That's in my hands. But you know what I think? I think oftentimes the win for us is in this process of finding him and hearing his voice. 
and connecting to who we really are and our value and finding our men. See, I think that's the real win. And whatever happens in the physical, yeah, that's a miracle. And all glory goes to God. But I think Gideon walked through life going, man, that was the win. That was the win. God wants you to live life to the full. This is what Jesus promised us. But I'm telling you, it doesn't happen if we don't get serious. And think about this for Gideon. He never has that moment if he doesn't stop and finally recognize God's voice. He doesn't have that moment if he doesn't turn course and start believing, maybe I'm not the runt. And he never has that moment if he doesn't have faith enough to put himself in an environment to round himself with his men. It just doesn't happen. We want this life. I want it. You do too. And it starts as simply as this week, what would it look like if we committed? Get to church next week. Have a do-dot day on Monday. Get in his word on Tuesday and get serious this week on finding your people. Listen, get to church next week. Have a do-dot day on Monday with, with Jesus. Get in his word on Tuesday and start getting serious about your people. That's the path that we walk to start to live life with Jesus. It just is. And I shudder to think what would happen if a bunch of us started to really, really wrap our hands around. We're we are not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience. What would happen if we started walking out, listening to him, believing what he says about us, and surrounding ourselves with the right people? I'm telling you, I think miracles would break out. I think heaven would be ushered in on this earth. I'm just crazy enough to believe it. He wants to use you. You were born on purpose, for a purpose. He, John 10, 10, that was for you. But you gotta start walking it. Will you stand with me? We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing a worship song. But I'm gonna ask you just to mentally take inventory and go, what is it this week that I need to do to hear his voice more clearly, to believe the truth about who I am, and surround myself with the right people? Let's pray. God, God, give us insight as to where we need to take next steps this week. This week, this week. And Father, help us believe this truth that we are your masterpiece, that you have great plans for us, that life is best lived in community with other believers. And help us walk that out and tell people more about this good news of Jesus, his saving grace and life on this planet with you so that we can have life with you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.